get up, get, get up, get up. What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up Podcast, episode 116, a nice and easy and relaxing episode for you guys because the Mets took care of business. They faced those Cincinnati Reds, and they really just, they smacked them around all week. It was not a very competitive series, but that being said, we got to celebrate the easy one sometimes. So we're still going to talk about everything that went on during this series, as well as we have a special guest in the second half of this episode, Matt Eddy from Baseball America, going to go through the Mets farm system. They just dropped their top 30 prospect rankings for their, you know, their website over there, their publication. And we're going to go ahead and talk with him about the Mets prospects, some of the guys that you could see in the future for this team. So stick around for that really awesome interview. We had him on last year. Can't wait for you guys to hear that again this time. If you are not yet following us on all our social media, make sure you are at MetsUp on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Check out the Twitter. Specifically, we are giving away a signed Starling Marte baseball because we did just hit 5k followers over there. So we do appreciate you guys. We want to give back and we got a Starling Marte signed baseball for you. So go ahead and enter that. If you're listening, to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen, drop us a rating, drop us a review. It really does help us out. Make sure you download that podcast. And of course, the YouTube video will be available over on the New York Mets YouTube channel. So now we go ahead and bring in James. James, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Probably one of the chillest Mets series of the entire year, at least since we've started doing this podcast. Honestly, like since, like you said, since we started doing this, I can't remember an easier, more straightforward series. Like literally start to finish, the Mets had control of this entire series, didn't relinquish it, relinquish it once, and it was just, it was really, really easy. The Mets literally didn't relinquish it. The Mets did not trail for one second in this series. They haven't trailed in how long now? It feels like they haven't trailed in like a week. Six games, 50, 54 innings. The Mets have not trailed. That's pretty close. That was pretty close to a week there. Doesn't make any sense. Like, this is like the, not that it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. It's a great team, but this is like the most dominant stretch of Mets baseball I can remember at any point, literally, in my entire life. Yeah. I mean, I think back to like that 2015 team when they started to get hot towards the end, and then they eventually ended with the clinching in Cincinnati of the National League East. But the Mets are just clicking on all cylinders right now. And while the Reds are not even close to the same competition as the Braves or even the Phillies that we have to face coming up, it is good that the Mets saw a team that is like, they're like a wounded deer. And we've mentioned this before, but they, they pounced. They pounced, they attacked, and the Reds really had no shot ever. This back-to-back episodes, we compared something to a wounded deer. But in this series, just to take like a full-on view of it, I like using the number 50%. It's a really good number that a lot of people think about a lot of, all the times. The Mets had 24 turns at bat in this series, which is hilarious. Their home team, they only hit 24 times, no ninth innings. And they scored at least one run in 12 of those 24 innings. That's so incredible. 50% of the times the Mets came to bat in this series, the Mets scored the run. Also, we're going to stick with this 50% theme. The Mets as a team had a 542 on base percentage in this series. That's so disgusting. more than half of the Mets that came to the plate in this series against the Reds reach base. I mean, I saw a stat at one point during game three today about Daniel Vogel back that he has a like 1400 OPS with this team and he's been getting on base at like a 560 rate. Like he has been so good. We've said it now for multiple episodes now, but what are they like 15 and two, 16 or two or something since they brought in Dan Vogel back? Pretty good. Yeah, I believe just the two losses. The Mets also just totally outscored the Reds 21 to five in this series. 12 different Mets had hits. Oh, wait. Okay, that 542 on base percentage thing, not true, not true. John's getting me an updated stat right now. It was misrepresented before in the outline. 542 on base percentage to start innings, the leadoff hitter of every innings. That's so still more, pretty good. I'll still take that one right to the bank. More than half 
of the Mets who started innings in this series reach base. That's pretty sick. Yeah, I mean, like you said, they outscored them 21 to 5. They were just simply better, especially offensively. And the Reds pitching, especially now, even without a guy like Hunter Green, not very good, I would say. No, definitely not. I feel like the Reds kind of do this every single year, at least the last few years. Besides those last two years that they were good, it's always like Cincinnati Reds like set a record for 57 straight games started by a rookie. Like I don't know how they managed to keep setting and resetting this record every single year and throwing out guys like Justin Dunn, the famous big-time prospect, former first-round pick in the Mets, a part of that other trade that we never talk about. Who's the guy today, TJ? How do you pronounce his name? Zoik? TJ Zoik, who was with, Zoic. I believe, the Blue Jays previously. He's a big dude who throws like a, a big sinker, but man, he just he doesn't strike out guys and he walks a lot of dudes. It was not a very good start for TJ Zoik on the mound. Also, fun name, Zoik. You don't get that often. Yeah, Zoik. And um, John is now writing in the outline that Zoik is from Mason, Ohio. Hilariously. I have a funny connection How? that goes back to the show from Mason, Ohio. Do you remember? Um, you guys might remember it last year when the Mets were playing the Reds, and I told my Skyline Chili story about, like, a friend of a friend, like, what year in college, like, I have this great chili place, and I love chili, brought me a Skyline, and I just couldn't even fathom how disgusting it was. Was that in that Mason? That kid o- is from Mason, Ohio. Oh, my God. How do you <laughs> – I know you went to Ohio State, but the idea that you have a story <laughs> with seemingly every single city in the state of Ohio is unbelievable. Like, the Tommy Hunter interview, he mentioned, like, some very small town. You're like, oh, yeah, I, I, did, you named a restaurant, I believe. Oh, no, no. They have the – I forgot the name of the town now. Oh, Hinkley, Hinkley. One of my, literally one of my best friends from school is from Hinkley, Ohio. They have the Buzzard Festival. I mentioned the Buzzard Festival of Tommy Hunter. He's like, yep, I know the Buzzard Festival. I have a glass in my kitchen from the Buzzard Festival. So shout out you, Christine. I stole it. How is that even? <laughs> Ohio, uh, that's a very proud state. They're very proud to be from Ohio. One of the proudest, yeah. I would say. Yeah, go Bucks. OH, baby. Big game OH, coming up. Couple weeks, couple weeks. Yeah, there's no Clemson. No, and, and to just transition here, we got Chris Bassett from Ohio, I believe. Ohio. Yep. yep. <laughs> He was the big story in the first game of this series just because the Mets had come in after this grueling, grueling five-game series with the Braves, coming off no off days, of course, with the five-game series last week, coming straight from the Nationals. Bullpen was beleaguered. We said it from the outset because I believe he had a 10-pitch first inning, and we looked at yeah. each other at this game. We were like, I'd like to get eight today, maybe nine. And Chris Bassett, my guy's got that dog in him. He really went hard, got gutted out eight innings and 114 pitches when this bullpen was mostly dead. And found a way after starting off very hot, then kind of hitting a lull, a lot of guys getting on base against him in the middle. Found five strikeouts over the last three innings, keeping the Reds off the board. Those five strikeouts are very important to some people, including Mark and I, <laughs> yeah, towards very, the end of this game. Very important, considering we had the overs on the strikeouts. You got it at five and a half. I got it at six and a half. And we were sweating. Little did we know, we had cleared it multiple strikeouts before it actually yeah. happened. Not paying attention. We were in the we were in the outfield concourse, kind of where you couldn't see the strikeout totals. We're just kind of like like free ball in our analysis there. But Mets really needed that, dude. Mets really needed yeah. some innings. And Chris Bassett all year has been reliable for consistent, sturdy, steady innings. He is an innings either. I think he referred to himself as an innings either after this game with the press. Like, what do you go out there to do? He's like, I'm eating innings, baby. This is all I want to do. Pitch well enough for my team to win. Not let those guys in the bullpen get any work done. The Bassett Hounds. <laughs> we haven't done that in a while. I mean. Watching him pitch was really great. It was also cool. We were out at the ballpark, like you mentioned, before the game, just for you guys getting a little peek behind the curtain. If you're following us on Twitter, you saw a little bit. But we got two more interviews coming at you with some players. We talked to Tomas Nito before this game, which was a killer interview. That guy's absolutely hilarious. And we got Tyler Naquin, or as we should say, Nakan now, because technically that's how it's actually pronounced. But we got those guys coming at you soon. Uh, it was cool to see you know those guys before the game. Tyler Naquin, of course, been a beast since he's come to the Mets and was a beast in this series as well. 
Yeah, Tyler Bonds. He actually got the big hit in this uh, game. Because this game, game one was kind of weird. It's hard to remember it now after the Mets just pulverized the Reds back-to-back nights. They're not really pulverized. Just really Wednesday was the pulverization. But Yeah, it was... I wouldn't call game it was a- close-ish. This was one of those games where you felt like this is one that you could see in a different parallel universe, the Mets ballpen blowing. Not, yeah. not this one, though. No, the... A good Mets team wins these games. Like this, like you said, in, in previous years, maybe this is a little bit different. But like the Mets won this one because they are just simply the better team. That's really what it came down to in this. Yeah. They got the big two RBI triple, I believe, in the eighth to put it out of the reach. Starling Marte. So close. So close. I know. It literally hit the top of the wall. And also in between this, I don't remember who hit the ball, but the Albert Almora robbed home run. Who hit that? Was it Pete? I think it was Pete, right? Might have been Pete. It could have been Pete, which is also funny because, and just being at the ballpark, it's like, yeah, I'm going to lay some bets down. And, um, I bet a parlay of Naquin and Pete to both <laughs> hit home runs. And th- there's a chance. I, I don't remember if that poem with the Pete was true, but there would be a chance I lost that bet on like four total inches. Yeah, it was extremely <laughs> close. Of course, Albert Almora, too. The guy yeah. who was so horrible at the Mets catch last year. So, it was such a good catch. I was, was literally standing like on the outfield wall when it happened. I looked, and I was like, oh, my God. I, w- I like let out like an expletive late tirade, and there was a couple next to me like eating. Okay, actually, like, actually, it was Lindor on that home It was run. Lindor. It okay, okay, makes so sense. We're right. makes sense. Dude, it, like... When the Mets win, honestly, I start to forget the little details like that, especially when there's so many great things to remember. But I don't, I don't want to talk anymore about Albert Almora. Tell me more about what happened with those Mets and how good they are, James. You got the stats. I mean, what else even happened? There weren't even any stats. Like it was just, it was cool to see Justin Dunn group in the area. Mets first round pick. Yeah. He, he's allegedly said he never thought he'd never get back to the major leagues. Cool to see him get back there. Really, um, he said that. Apparently, John John said he said it right here. That's crazy because he's always been a guy who. The ceilings probably moved on quite a bit since he was drafted out of Boston College, but he's always guys like well he kind of throws strikes ish like he nibbles a little bit which can we saw in this game at the start, but he's never been a guy that like you'd be like oh I don't know if he's gonna be able to like he'll probably stick around for quite some time. Well, it's because he's had some shoulder injuries. I think is what he meant. Ah, okay. I did, I thought he was talking about like shoulder or injury plus talent wise. He was like I don't know if I'm gonna make it, which I'm I'm glad for Justin Dunn, a guy who follows me on Twitter, so friend of the friend of the podcast, cool. but. No longer a Met, so don't really care. Yeah, and then um, otherwise, like the other cool thing I think we should talk about from Monday being at the game is that we met a lot of uh, fun Mets Twitter personalities, hung out with them for a while we did. there. Yeah, we we bumped into uh, Jenny Mets, which if you guys don't know him, he has a big Twitter account over there. I think he's got like 40-something followers, really nice dude, hung out with him for 40, a couple innings. You said 40-something. It'd be hilarious if we were just shouting him out and he had like 47 followers. No, no, 40,000. Oh, 40,000. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, didn't, I guess I didn't say the thousand. 40 something. Yeah, so 40 different. Something thousand is completely different than just 40 something. He's got 40 something followers. He's decent. He's yeah, yeah. You should check him out. He's got 42 followers. That would really be a good shout out. He'd, he'd appreciate that even more. We also bumped into Joe DeMeo, who does the Mets pod over with SNY, hung out with him for a few innings, talking about prospects with him off, off the record, but a lot of really good stuff, which was nice. Yeah, Jacob Resnick, too, who does a minor league podcast with Joe DeMeo. Talked to him for a little while. Never met him before. That was cool. Antagonized him to follow me because <laughs> I had followed him, like, years ago when I had, like, 80 followers. And I'm sure he just, like, saw my tweets and was like, oh, yeah, that's James. And I was like, yo, you got to follow me on Twitter. And he was like, okay, yeah, man, follow me. <laughs> yeah, Jacob Resnick is a legend. If you if you really do like minor league stuff, we've said it a bunch of times on the podcast before, but definitely drop him a follow. I don't know. I still don't know what his connections are, but he gets the videos of every single minor league team for the Mets before anybody. It's impressive. I didn't even want to ask because it's just that impressive. I didn't want to. I didn't want to trifle with it. No, and I mean, do we meet anybody else? I'm trying to think now. No, that's, all, that's all we had. Yeah, had a couple, was... a couple fans. We met Luke the Legend. Oh, and, uh, of course. Yeah, got a shout out Luke the in Legend in left field. That was I think very that was basically nice. all though. Yeah, we we're walking around handing out stickers again. If you ever see us, make sure you say what's up. We got stickers for you. Oh, and Pinman. Let's talk about Pinman real quick. Oh, that was really fun. Yeah, mention Pinman. Yeah, so 
we've sat near Pinman before. What was it? The Giants series, I think. Which yeah, feels the, Rod- like- the Rodon game in April. We sat with him for like four or five innings. My dad too. Feels like a year ago, but we had our stickers. Pinman was sitting next to it. James, excellent, excellent networker out here, was just handing out the stickers to anybody who's everybody. Gave one to Pinman. We were watching in the ninth inning when Ottavino got into the game, standing up behind there because we were getting ready to hop on the train afterwards. Long day at the stadium. And I see on the TV that Pinman pops up and he has his phone out holding a video. And I hit James. I'm like, that's our sticker. I think our sticker's on the back of his phone. Did you give him one? You're like, I definitely did. We went back onto YouTube TV. I scrolled back in time, got a screenshot of it. Pinman had the Mets up sticker. It was on SNY. Na- uh, not national recognition, but regional recognition. Regional recognition. I hope it had regional recognition by now anyway. Because also, we're going, I was on the way home on the train, taking the G train back to Brooklyn. And there was across from me on the train, there was this dad and son who were just arguing so hard about baseball minutia. I think I heard him talking about, like, 2005 White Sox. That's, like, the most forgettable World Scott Series. Scott Pudsednik. Joe Creedy. Yeah, I, I think I heard Loisaga. No, not Loisaga. Esteban Loisa mentioned. I don't remember exactly, but I just remember, like, some real dense baseball conversation. As I was getting off of my stop, they were still on. I went to the uh, to the teenager kid, and I was like, hey, man, heard you arguing. I run Mets Up, Mets Up official podcast, the Mets. I really think you'd enjoy what we talk about. He was like, oh. I listened to you guys. I was like, oh, my God. Nice. That's cool. <laughs> That's me. Yeah. Uh, fun fact about Esteban Loaiza. Went to jail for a long time for doing Yo. a very illegal activity. <laughs> yeah, I think he sold tons of drugs, if I yeah, remember correctly. A lot of it. He's been released recently, I think, though. So hope hope the, the tides turn better for Esteban Loaiza. Yeah, there you go. Rehabilitation. Now, move on to game two. Just briefly breeze through this series. Um, similar to game one. It was going to be nice to get length out of our starters just because we knew we had a big series over the weekend. Still coming yep. off that five-game Braves uh, situation. And Carlos Carrasco, as Keith would say, back in his rocking chair, just completely cruised through this Reds lineup. Gave up seven hits, which I didn't even realize, like, looking back at this game, because it really just felt so scattered. But six and two-thirds, nine Ks, second-highest mark of him for the year with strikeouts, one walk, two earned runs. Mets have won the last six games started by Carrasco, one seven zero ERA in that span. Also, ooh, ooh, ooh. I think that's every start since the beginning of July, because I had the stat written down that he has a one six nine ERA since July 1st. Guy's awesome. Dude, so good. You hit the nail on the head, James. You can pat yourself on the back for that one. Carlos Carrasco has been crucial to this team. And like you said, we really just needed that length and consistency and to keep us in the game. And when the Mets are hitting the way that they have been, like two earned runs over six and two thirds is just, that's easy work. Definitely. He puts, he puts the Mets in position to win like every single, almost every single start. It's why they've won his last six starts. That's why he has 13 wins. We know wins don't matter, but that's the second most in all of baseball. He also had 17 whiffs in this start third most he had in a start this year and nine of them on the slider i think it's interesting he got nine whiffs on the slider because it was his most thrown pitch for the second consecutive start after it wasn't his most thrown pitch at any start this year and i mentioned that last episode when he, that happened and i think there's a trend now because we're seeing carlos carrasco have just impeccable command of that pitch and when you have great command of a pitch like a slider just why not throw yeah. it more often especially when your fastball is as unimpressive as his is Really loud truck home here. But <laughs> I'll yell, really good to see Carrasco. <laughs> really good to see Carrasco make that adjustment. It seems like this slider thing is something that could stick. Yeah. I mean, you talked about pitcher wins not being that important. If you remember back to the first episode of this season, we talked about the Chris Bassett over wins when we were predicting like what would be some good bets for you to drop. And uh, Chris Bassett has hit that over wins pretty easily. And I think Carlos Carrasco, I would assume, has as well. I bet Carlos Carrasco wasn't even like on the board. I don't think anyone thought Carlos Carrasco would get 13 wins this year. If anyone out there took Carlos Carrasco in your fantasy league, he has been an absolute godsend for you. 13 wins out of a guy who got to take like in the last couple of rounds, even yeah. your deeper leagues, like outside of the 15 top 15 rounds. 
Alex is FaceTiming me right now. Oh, oh my, my God. God. Mark and I both, we can say this now, both have an ex-roommate who just has the most inopportune FaceTime habits. It's unbelievable. As inopportunely as someone can FaceTime somebody else, he FaceTimes us. He's probably listening to this, so just to let him know. He he like FaceTimed me at like 10.30 the other day in the morning, which to normal people, that's an acceptable time. To me, it's not. And I was like, I saw it. I was like, I'm sleeping. There's no shot. It's like, you'd be the first person I talk to in the morning. I can't do that at 10.30 No, he'd be the first thing to see your eyes, Alex. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Oh my god! That's hilarious. And I hope he listens just... to this. He'll know that I just ignored his call, which is kind of funny. But <laughs> that is funny. Other cool thing that happened this game: Darren Ruff got another big hit. He has five RBIs and fifteen Mets at bats, which is just ridiculous. I love Darren Ruff. It just, just like takes Dan Vogelback takes really good at bats. Tyler Naquin takes really good at bats. Dan or Darren Darren Ruff takes really good at bats as well. Like putting these guys in the middle of the order is just it's such an improvement on what we had with JD Davis and Dom Smith earlier in the year. It's crazy how much better this lineup and offense moves. I'm also just oh, I'm racking my brain right now cuz I remember they had a funny walk-up song and when it happened I was like, "Oh, that was a funny walk-up song." But now I can't remember it thinking back. Darren Ruff, I know today. I think it was like had, it was like a it was a rap song, like a poppy rap song. And I was like, "That's Darren Ruff's walk-up song." But I can't no, remember right now. No. You are right. It is a it is a bit of a rap song, but I'm not sure exactly what it is. But today, I, today with the international, was it International Women's Day or was it just Women's Day at the stadium? I have no idea, so I'm just going to call it Women's Day because that's what the Mets official Twitter called it. Yeah, because we're done with Game 2 now, so let's just move to Game 3. But yeah. Mets Twitter was saying that, or Mets official Twitter was saying that it was Women's Day at City Field, so a lot of the players on the Mets team were rocking songs or their walk-up songs by female artists, which I think leads to the question, James, who had the best one? We can Should we just like run through the entire list, or do we just want to say the ones that were the best? No, we're going to run through the entire list. I'm pulling it up right now on Twitter. I was on our page because I was checking how well the Starling Marte giveaway is doing. And it's, uh, wow, pretty good. Yeah, no, we've, we've gained quite a bit of followers. So Yeah, uh, only shout- a few followers have gone today. Messed Met up is going to pass me tonight. That's depressing. <laughs> oh, that God. Is depress- you know what? This is That's good, though. That's good. Because then it will feed in followers to you on your personal one. Yeah, you're not wrong about that. All right. But here we got the list of, also, I'm just scrolling past a great meme I made about, again, Tyler Bonds. Because <laughs> Tyler Naquin is Barry Bonds right now. We'll talk about yes. how well he's played in a, in a moment here. But... Taiwan Walker came out to run the world by Beyonce, Good which is a heater. Pete Alonzo, Edge of 17 by Stevie Nicks, which is a banger, but also a pretty sad song, as most of Stevie Nicks's are. So I don't think I know that song. I think that was one of the few that I don't know by name. Oh, that's a banger. Yeah. Banger. banger. That's a banger. Great song. Yeah. Yeah. Mark Hanna, You Ought to Know by Alanis Morissette. But I Do you think have that? I, I think have that I one like for me? the. What'd you say? Do you have what that one sounds like for me? I'm interested to see. Yes, Kevin sang a karaoke in the office. Oh, you, you, okay. Yeah. Got Great it. Great song. Okay. Yep. Eduardo Escobar, Single Lady, second Beyonce appearance. Luis Guillorme, Juice by Lizzo, which I I can't even imagine that Luis Guillorme picked this song. I feel like this is a situation where Luis Guillorme is like, you know, like either forgot or just didn't do it, and the team just picked the most popular song they could think of. Is Juice the one where it's like the popular uh, TikTok uh, song right uh, now? Uh, what? Is Juice the popular TikTok Lizzo song right now? I don't know. I'm not on TikTok enough to answer that question. Okay. Well, yeah, Luis Guillermo pitching, picking Lizzo was never on my radar whatsoever. Yeah. Francisco Lindor, My Boo by the Ghost Town DJs, which is not a song people know, but it's a very, yeah, it's it's like become a very popular like remix and meme song, which is like, it's just a funny song. It's the Running Man Challenge, if you guys remember that from Vine back in the day. Yes. Starling Marte, Inolvidable by Jenny Rivera. It was a, it's a, it's a Latin song. Listen okay, to yeah. it. You, yeah, no, me and you would never have heard this one. <laughs> James McCann, 9 to 5 by Dolly Parton and Wannabe by the Spice Girls, which is big for James McCann. 
big for James McCann, big for the stock. Two respect points there because he picked two good songs for the day. Because normally James McCann's walk up, we have to have a talk with him. It's not it's the like strongest. Imagine typically. Dragons. <laughs> he sees his walk up music is not the best, but on Women's Day at City Field, he picked two good songs. So two respect points to James McCann. Too bang. Jeff McNeil, What Dreams Are Made Up by Hillary Duff, which is really funny. Bop. That's a certified bop right there. Tomas Nido, Bidi Bidi Boom Boom by Selena. Really good song. Another banger. <laughs> Brandon Man, I Feel Like a Woman by Shania Twain, which Keith was like, I really like this song. And then they, he was talking about it. And then Gary started talking, and, he, and Keith goes, are we on the air? And Gary <laughs> goes, yes, we are on the air. Keith had no idea that he talked for like 30 seconds, basically about Shania Twain, that, <laughs> that, I mean, that they that, were on air. That's an absolute banger, too. I remember being at a bar in San Diego, and that came on, and everyone stopped what they were doing, and they were they were really going hard singing, man, I feel like a woman. It's just, it's a good song. It's a great it's sing-along. A very singable song. And then last one, Darren Ruff, We Are Who We Are by Kesha. Which, like... Darren Ruff's 36. I don't I don't know where we the Kesha music and him really overlaps. I don't know. Yeah, you know, late prime. He had a, maybe a time of career. He took a lot of the Americanized culture that was a little bit a couple years behind. That's where he picked it up. And also, the one that's not on here, which, which I'm going to pick for my winner. Yeah. Daniel Vogelback, Milkshakes by Achilles. Yeah, Achilles, that's whatever. Oh, my that's God. That's a killer, killer choice by Daniel Vogelback. I can't believe they didn't include him on this list. Maybe it was a uh, game time decision. He was like... I really got to think about this one, but yeah, milkshakes is, <laughs> he was racking his brain. It could have been, you never know. Like you got to, you have one chance to get the song right. And Dan Vogel back hit it right on the head. If I wasn't going to pick him, cause obviously now knowing that, uh, I think it was between Jeff McNeil, what dreams are made of and Brandon Nemo, man, I feel like a woman like those. I think McNeil's is just the funniest though, because like I can totally see McNeil doing the, the little dance to Hillary Duff. <laughs> this is what dreams are made of. I don't know. I still think that, um, that McCann, and also, I mean, Canna. Canna's is pretty good. You want to know that's a fantastic song, but it's a little bit too emotional for the baseball field, maybe. That's a deep cut. That's a deep cut. Also, I, you brought up Keith not knowing he was on air. Did you catch in game two when he talked about not wanting to broadcast the Phillies games because he hates watching them play? I, I, I saw it on Twitter, but I watched most of that game in a bar, so I missed, uh, <laughs> I missed, I missed the comment. But can you go into it? Because today he talked about how much he, I think, I believe, didn't want to watch the Reds play because how bad of baseball they've been playing. <laughs> yeah. Gary just, like, went in a laughing fit. Yeah, so Keith was talking about that he doesn't like doing the Phillies games. He hates broadcasting them. He's like, yeah, it's just not a... They don't play, they don't play good baseball. He's like, yeah, just, I don't like watching them play. Basically said, like, he hates Philadelphia, doesn't think the team's very good, and it's not worth his time to broadcast a game against them because they're the Phillies. Who cares about them? So he brought those sentiments into Game 3 against the Reds. Who played really, really bad baseball in Game 3? As bad at baseball as I can remember watching a team play. They were missing cutoff men. They were throwing balls around the field that shouldn't have been. It was just like, it was it was bizarre baseball. Just They popping the ball up a lot, too. Keith was, yeah. uh, Keith's like, this team has a lot of uppercuts. So why do they keep popping it up? And I was like, ah, I don't know that's Gary, Gary put that on a tee for him. He's like, Keith, what do all these infield pop-ups mean? And then he dropped the, the uppercut line, which they, I think they started giggling. There was a lot of giggling going on in the broadcast booth today, which is exactly what you want when you're a Mets fan. When you hear those guys start getting get, to get giddy, you know this game was completely out of reach, which it was early on. Also because this was a day game and it was like really comfortable. Like also just temperature wise, we had like two of the hottest nights I can remember or two of the hottest weeks I can remember in New York over the last two nights. Yeah. Monday we were at the ballpark. It was just like dripping in sweat, sitting in chairs. Tuesday I went to a, a concert, shout out to Glass Animals. And it was just like I just couldn't stop sweating and like I sat in an indoor air conditioned bar and was like still sweating. I was so hot, like I got like one of those fruity frozen drinks. Like I wow, never that's I never get drinks like that. But I was like, they was like, they on the menu just like dive bar in Brooklyn. I just had frozen drink, and I was like, give me that. Capitalist and it was just like, James. 
Yeah, it was. Yeah, I guess so. it was like this apple strawberry pink like like early thing. I was like, this is incredible. I'm so proud <laughs> to be drinking this right now. But it was just hot. And today, like the humidity broke. The Mets were up early and didn't even have a moment where you ever thought they were possibly going to lose. And they were just having a little fun. I think it was camp day. It's always like whenever there's a day game like this, I just call it camp day. There were a lot of kids there, though, and they were panning around to them. So a fun day in the park. Yeah, Lindor, two hits, two RBIs, three runs. He tied, I believe, Jose Reyes for the most RBIs a shortstop's had in a season. And he also, the game before that, right, in game two, became the first Mets shortstop to have multi-20 home run seasons in a year or in a career. He also, in this game, with the run he's, first run he scored, tied David Wright with the Mets record for scoring a run in 13 straight games. Dude, it's a good baseball player. His OPS is creeping up to the 820s now, I believe. He's starting to get close to. Like, the dude is just scalding hot. Today, game three felt like a perfect day to give him a day off, but I think Lindor is like, I'm hot. You Don't take me out now. You can't do it. I want to play. I want to be out there playing the Reds and TJ Zeik or Zoik, whatever his name is. Yeah, now you just can't leave. I think Jeff McNeil also extended his hit streak to, I want to say, 13 games after yeah, gotta, this one. got to double down the line. Yep, Vogie had a two-RBI double, got three RBIs in total. Of course, my man, Tyler Naquin, another long home run, a double. Balls in play of 107, 104 miles an hour. How, how good's this guy? <laughs> so sick. It's so sick that this guy is now part of this lineup. And, like, even when he's not, you could bring him off the bench and be like, oh, so <laughs> competent Major League Baseball player. More than competent. Good. Keith was like, Naquin's got some power. That's 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 a classic Keith thing to be like, until he shows me something, I'm not going to. Uh, he can surprise me. I, I want to be surprised. And he definitely was by Naquin this week. I mean, Tyler Naquin today, second highest, third highest OPS in the entire Mets lineup. Only behind yep. Pete. Seven of his 11 hits have been extra base hits. Three home runs, two doubles, two triples. Uh, yep. Sign me up every single day of the week. The trade has looked great. <laughs> 439 foot home run on Wednesday. Third longest by any Mets to the field this season. It's disgusting. And we know Absolutely. the lo- and we know the longest is James McCann. <laughs> yeah, James McCann. Jake Fraley hit a bomb this series too. He hit one like what off the Shea Bridge, which I didn't know he had that kind of power. No, he's always had the good skill set. He's just never been able to like play enough to actually show it off. And Keith was like, This guy has less than two hundred batting average. He's really showing me something. Good <laughs> eye, good power, good ball player, and I was like, it's pretty funny. Keith Keith uh, was prime Keith this weekend. Yeah, this was super or week. Keith. Just, I mean, Keith, I think, also has like this aversion for the Reds from his Cardinals days and just from 70s, uh, 80s baseball. And I think now when a team that you don't like is also playing bad, you're just going to pile yeah, on them. Also, point. Pete in this game, four hard hit balls, three hits after he didn't get a hit for the first two games in this series. It's just, just this game was like bother, man. It was smooth and easy. Isn't it nice, too? Because I feel like before the deadline and all the acquisitions, we talked about that the lineup, if Lindor and Pete don't do any of if they don't do it, it kind of has a hard time scoring. And Pete went over in the first two games, and the Mets were scoring like it was completely fine. They had no problems. It's just easy as heck. Also, Taiwan Walker back on track after the rough start on Friday. Six innings, two earned, three walks, five Ks. Yep. Four-seamer, slider, split change, all working. And he has had those comments after the game about how disappointed he was in his start and how he felt bad the bullpen had to wear it. So really cool that, you know, Really cool that he got it in check. And it also just is kind of driving home a theme that we talked about last year with Taiwan about how much he very clearly loves day games. Yeah. He's our day man. All my ah. always sunny Philadelphia fans out there. One of the great shows ever. 1.23 ERA for Taiwan this year in day games. 592 at night. It's crazy. That's crazy. And it's all, that's driven a lot by the two really bad starts he's had in, in night games this year. But it's, it's just ridiculous. And he even said it. Gary talked about it. He could just wake up, go to the park. And he's pitching before he even thinks about what's going on. Where the night games, he kind of thinks about the start all day. So hmm, that's interesting, interesting trend to, to keep about. track. Yeah, that Taiwan almost doesn't have enough time for a day game to like get in his head or whatever it is. Wait, <laughs> I'm looking at the outline. Did we steal the big three from John? Did we just do it ourselves? 
I think we might have. I think we uh, might have. Sorry, Johnny boy. That's a shame. That's a shame. Yeah. Uh, we'll we'll skip that one. I guess no big three for this episode. We. <laughs> I didn't. Even, I literally didn't even scroll that far down on the notes to Not see that. I. Oh God. Just for International um, Women's Day. That's funny. Yeah, six game winning streak dating back to the Braves doubleheader Saturday. Mets stars have a one four zero ERA in that time. Mets have also we said at the top of the show didn't trail during the haven't trailed their entire six game winning streak. There's also the 11th time the Mets have scored 10-plus runs this year, most in the National League. And this also completes a full turn through the Mets rotation, where no star there took 20 pitches and also a 16 winning streak to get through the first. And I also saw a, flat, a stat flash that he was on the broadcast or on Twitter or something, that the Mets are seeing the most pitches of any team in the first inning this year, from the yeah. hitter's standpoint, over 18. That, that feels about right, especially with the new acquisitions. Like, these guys just take a lot, a lot of pitches. So if you get through the first three and then you get the Vogel back or whatever it's going to be, he always has a good at-bat. Naquin has a good at-bat. It's rough. We just keep going through it. This lineup is just so significantly better. And I, I got to imagine the doubters and the haters of this Mets tra- trade deadline feel like they got a little egg on their face. And you know what? It's, a, it's fine. Just admit you were wrong. The Mets made good moves. And you can be happy now that we got Tyler Naquin and Dan Vogel back and Darren Ruff. You don't have to be curmudgeon anymore. Even Michael Givens got some outs in this series. You yeah, know, Michael my other Givens guy. had a nice little appearance in, uh, what was it, game one, I think, or game two? Two, two. Yeah, and then, game two. Uh, just overall, Mets trade down deadline acquisitions, right? So through, John, if you can get us how many at-bats they have total before, because I'd like to see what the sample on this is, but 348, 426, 652 slash, five home runs, 22 RBIs. Big, big Stupid. help for this Mets team, especially when the holes that they're really filling were, again, the J.D. Davis, Dom Smith holes that we were talking about who didn't really produce at all this year. So to go from almost little to no production to elite levels of production is just, it's so wonderful. It's, I, I welcome it with open arms. And also, you know, gets P day off in the DH. It keeps it keeps Canna fresher, keeps McNeil fresher, keeps Kiorme fresher, keeps Escobar fresher. Just Nimmo more. got a day off too, which was yeah, nice. More guys around here to carry the weight, and you don't really feel like you're missing that much, which is kind of the staple of a good team. No, so I'm going to go ahead and now bring in John because, of course, we have the estimate. I don't, I don't know what we've come up with here to go with the last one because I technically lost because Edwin Diaz and Alexis Diaz didn't pitch a single pitch in this entire series. If you had to ask me, I'd tell you that zero is less than five, right? That is, uh, that is true, but you know, if you're, if you're using the various sports book out there and you, you make a, a wager of sorts and they only play like seven innings, sometimes they don't give it to you if you bet the under. I see this more like you're making a football bet and the receiver just never gets in the game. It's oh, interesting. John, I think we got to let John make the decision here because I think we're we're on both sides. You know, I honestly think that the listeners should be the ones who make this decision. Okay. I'm not entirely I'm totally sure cool that, that. that the three of us are equipped to make this. <laughs> uh, an extenuating circumstance we didn't see coming, but I think that let the people be the ones who decide the fate here. You I'm guys cool with that? With that? Yeah, I'm down I'm with totally that. I'm totally cool with I know how badly the listeners all want to see Mark wear a tuxedo next April. <laughs> I, it, seem, it seems like everybody wants me to be the guy that's wearing it. So I, I guess we'll put it on Twitter and Instagram. We'll put a poll out tomorrow. So on Thursday, the day that you guys are listening to this, whether or not you think that one should count. So as of right now, with an asterisk, it's what, 5-1? Still 5-1, yes. Uh, James, okay. to answer your question real quick, because sample size matters, 89 at-bats for those three. So, I mean, look, it's... It's been exceptionally uh, – it's been great to watch those three, the injection of excitement, and they're just – there's not an easy out in this lineup. Nope. No. It's it's just incredible. Um, and real quick before we get into this episode's estimate, uh, it's Darren Ruff. He had the best – Darren Ruff's a vibe. He is I a mean, vibe. You know, 
I'm going to ask DJ Razor. I don't know the song exactly, but I'm going to get it from DJ Razor. What Darren Ruff's going up to for his at bats, and then for him to go with Kesha, and you don't expect it. Yeah, you, know, <laughs> you don't expect it at all. But low key, like this guy's got the tunes. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Definitely. Yeah, I went to Greece last summer. Found a whole new catalog of music, so I hear what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Where am I going next summer? I don't know. We'll find out. Um, all right. Estimate. Here we go. Mets, Phillies, a big three-game series. City Field's going to be raucous. Wear your black on Friday night. Max, Jake, back-to-back. Couldn't have it set up. Any- Just great pitching matchups, actually. I'll let you guys preview that a little bit. But Kyle Schwarber, second most strikeouts in all of baseball this season behind only a Eugenio Suarez. 70, excuse me, 17 strikeouts and 51 plate appearances against the Mets only this year, a K rate of 33%. So, and I, I think I see Mark doing some, some thinking. Yeah, I'm doing some thinking. How many times will Mets pitchers strike out Kyle Schwarber during this three-game series? And I'm going to throw it to Mark first because last week he wanted to go first so badly. Yeah. So, Mark, hopefully going first this week doesn't come back to bite you. All right, that's 33%. Three-game series, you got to think he's going to get about 12 at-bats or plate appearances, leadoff man. I'm going to go with I'm gonna go with five. I think five is going to be my number for Kyle Schwarber in the series. Five, five strikeouts for the whole series. Yeah. That was, that was exactly the number I was going to pick. That makes me feel good because you've been pretty money with the numbers yeah. recently. So now this is a tough call here. Now I kind of have to decide what... What what type of future I'd like I'd like to build for myself here? How I want how I want to root this series? Like how I'm gonna feel? Because it's almost it's, I almost have like I can go like it's basically gonna be one higher, one lower than five in either direction. Yeah, almost can't get worse than that. I'm gonna just very quickly just like stall for a second and just see Kyle Schwarber's rolling K rate and see if it's something that's been trending up or trending down. Oh, recently. look at this guy using fancy graphs. Rolling. Luckily, K-rate. yeah. Luckily, I fan graphs open right now as I usually do. This striking is... out like uh, he's been striking out like a machine recently. I'll tell you that. He has been I striking out like a machine. Game logs. He has been striking out like a machine. I, I I don't know if I love to hear that or not. I I mean I love it for the Mets. I don't know if I love it for this bet anymore or the estimate. I am going to go. Less than five. Wow. Okay. Less than five. Ooh, I think that's man. an upset. I think that's an upset. I would have gone over five just really? because he's hitting leadoff in the lineup, and you got Max and Jake. Although he did take Max deep twice back in uh, in May. Um, wow, James. I am inter. I, I'm kind of shocked. I'm. I'm. Ha- I feel better with you taking the under than I do with you taking the over. I will say that. I just I know that in these estimates, I've had a shocking amount of luck with unders, and I think that you're an under guy. You've always been the under guy. I think I think there's a good chance that um that even if there's just one game where Kyle Schwarber strikes out one time, I do think that gives me some kind of advantage. Like Mark's basically banking on you're banking on you're banking on multi, these multi strikeout games. That could yeah. happen, especially against Jake and Max. But I just I have this feeling that he's Kyle Schwarber is 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 a significantly I would I'll even take this claim better hitter than most hitters in this lineup right now, and I think he yeah. probably 
he's faced uh, Jake and Max enough, I think, to have more of a plan. I don't know. I just feel like this is a very big series for the Phillies, and he's the guy who's like kind of becoming their emotional leader. He's been playing yeah. some of the best baseball on their team. From a hitting perspective, I don't know what he's doing in the field as usual. But I don't know why. I just have a gut feeling. Gut feeling I went with it. It's going to be close. It's going to be close. John, as always, thank you for providing the excellent estimate question. Best of luck, fellas. Best of luck. Yeah, we'll see you. We'll see you next time. Uh, this is also a perfect time for us to transition now into that Matt Eddy interview. Like we said, from Baseball America. Dude's a genius. Dude's really smart over there. Baseball America, one of the best publications, especially when you're talking about prospects. It's actually kind of a connection that we got with James here because James knows him a little bit better than I do. Yeah, I've applied to a couple jobs at Baseball America. Never got them, but Matt, Matt, Matt's always Matt's always been a, a friend and a fan of the podcast since we began, basically. So cool to connect with him again. Also, it's great to pick his brain on the week of Baseball America's big drop of their top 100 and all of their individual team top 30s, including the Mets, of course, which kind of spurned this interview. Also, just amazing to talk to Matt because he kind of growing similar to more seriously similar to Mark growing similar to me. He's never really done anything that wasn't just like analyzing baseball prospects. I believe from him talking to him before that his first job out of college was with Baseball America, and he's just rose to the top being executive editor. So, Which is awesome. So Really, really cool. Good to hear from Matt, and yeah, let's take it away. All right, so we now are joined by Matt Eddy of Baseball America. He came on the podcast last year, did something similar, talking prospects, Baseball America, the place to go if you want your prospect information. And Matt's a, Matt's a pretty big guy over there, along with a big Mets fan. So we're super excited to pick his brain, start talking about some of these Mets prospects. After a Red Series, that was relatively not that exciting in the grand scheme of things compared to what just happened with the Braves this past series. So Matt, thanks for coming on. We do appreciate you hopping back on the Messed Up Podcast. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me. It's been um, onward and upward for um, you you guys as a team. Yeah, a little bit different than the last time you spoke to us. <laughs> Same time of year, though, I feel like. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, Matt, just to start out, I think the number one prospect every single Mets fan wants to talk about, number one pro- Mets prospect we get the most questions about, is Francisco Alvarez, recently moved up to AAA Syracuse. I think he, I'm assuming he's number one in the new Mets top 30 that's dropping probably Thursday when you guys are listening to the show on Baseball America. So just pontificate on Alvarez for a few minutes. Tell me your favorite things about him. Yeah, uh, Alvarez, you don't find much disagreement that he's going to hit and hit for power. I think conservatively you go to 60 on both on the 2080 scale. Um, you, you know, there's not unanimous agreement on how good defensively he's going to be, but he has the, the the tools and the makeup, more importantly, to stick at catcher. So I think that's where he's going to play, certainly the large beginning portion of his career. He's yeah. an excellent, excellent prospect, you know, to be as young as he is hitting a triple-A, yeah. <laughs> Do you think that there's a chance that uh, if he came up this year at the major league level, he would be someone who could adjust to the major league pitching well? It's possible. Um, you know, the, the trades the Mets have made have lessened that demand, but – I think I think it's possible if you kind of ease him in, bat him seven, eight, nine to start and kind of get his feet wet. You think that there is at least any likelihood, still even at this point in his development, that catcher is not where he winds up, or do you think that is the that's the destination for Alvarez defensively? Yeah, it's definitely the destination. You know, definitely in his twenties. The issue is like, in addition, aside from DH, there really isn't an obvious place you would play him. So that he's, you know, catcher or DH. The good news being that he's got a middle-of-the-order bat, so either way. Yeah. One other thing I just wanted to talk about Alvarez is that I've seen that 
he's only been a few weeks in AAA, so the sample isn't really great. But we have seen his plate discipline look very similar to how it's looked at other parts of the minors, but the walk rate has had a few ticks increase. Is that something that is normal when a guy jumps a level, or is that just because of the weird talent disparity now between AA and AAA, or what could be what could be the reason for an increased walk rate from AA to AAA? Yeah, it might be a bit of the latter. I think we are seeing the new AAA reality. Pitchers are a little older. They nibble a little more than used to be the case, you know, because the, the, the best pitchers are needed on the major league team. So the, the AAA talent tends to be a little less on the pitching side. I want to switch topics here or switch gears, I should say, a little bit more because we're still talking prospects. The Mets did a really good job this trade deadline of not giving up any of their big pieces and still improving as a team. But a lot of people do feel like that the moves that they did make maybe weren't as good as they would have liked or that they gave up too much, specifically in that Darren Ruff trade. The guys that I think we got rid of were what? Nick Zwak, uh, Carson Seymour, and I'm forgetting one more, James. Do you remember the guy's name? Oh, yeah, Zapucky. Zapucky was the guy. So who do you think or what did you think of those guys just to maybe calm Mets fans down a little bit? <laughs> these aren't the major pieces. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I, we had Carson Seymour ranked the highest. He was, what was he, seventh round last year. Yeah. Um, the Mets internally kind of viewed him more as like a, a power ground ball profile upside for him. Uh, sinker, breaking pitch. Uh, you know, but he did pitch better at high A than he had at low A, which is encouraging. Um, Zwak is was one of the big helium guys because he was a 17th rounder who went from you know, completely off the radar to you know a top 30 guy. You know, deception, three pitch left hander. He's tall, good extension. Um, again, with him, I think with both, you're probably looking relief or swingman type upside. So I would expect both will probably pitch in the major leagues, but not have tremendously high ceilings. Did you think that there was enough reason, just stay with the trade deadline, enough reason for the Mets to have held on to their other mid-top 10 type prospects, the Vientos, the Mauricio, I know Bailey seemed like was untouchable as well, but then like Ziegler, maybe even Javier Atencio and Joel Diaz, some other guys were creeping into the top 10 as pitchers. Do you think any of those players, as they are right now, ceilings were worth keeping exchange for rental that could have helped this major league team? Based on what I know, I wouldn't call them untouchable. You know, I don't know exactly what was on the table. You know, would it make sense for two months of Wilson Contreras? Maybe, maybe not. Like, that's kind of what we're viewing as the big fish. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Phillies, when they traded for David Robertson, you know, Ben Brown is not a household name, but he's, he's building a lot of esteem among scouts. So he might have been, been viewed as comparable to any of the players you mentioned to other teams. I know that Ziegler, there's like a, right now in your guys' top 30 rankings, there's like a big chunk of the Mets pitchers. So from eight all the way down to, I think 14 is all Mets pitchers with Ziegler, Tidwell, Matt Allen, Joel Diaz, Budo, Mike Vassell, and Dominic Hamill. Which one of those guys do you think really sticks out as your favorite in that group of the young Mets pitchers? That's a good one. Um, you know, Matt Allen at his best, I think would hold that title. We haven't seen him at his best really since the alternate training site, you know, they, they expect him back in instructional league. That's like a, like the realistic timetable for his return. We haven't seen him since his brief 2019 pro debut. So for upside, I'd pick him uh, for another pick. Um, you know, Ziegler is interesting power stuff. 
He's young. Um, needs to throw more strikes. And um, Hamill has some interesting traits too. So I, I think I would stick with Allen. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. I know, uh, I know like this Mets after the draft that just happened and we'll, we'll speak on the draft here in a second, but the Mets farm system as a whole is just looked as a lot deeper, a lot stronger, and especially not making those trades over at baseball America. What are you guys just thinking as the farm system as a whole right now? Yeah, they entered the season number 16. I think they would definitely move into the top 10 consideration, you know, Parada, Kevin Parada and Jet Williams, the first rounders were, were consensus guys that puts them, in the discussion for 10, um, I, I forget whether the Padres ranked ahead of them, but they, they certainly will not rank ahead of the Mets now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I think 10 as a ballpark is a good place to start. Yeah, uh, out of those Mets draft picks, who who would won your favorite pick and then who was Baseball America the highest on, Whether if those are the same or different? Yeah, that would be Parada, Kevin Parada, the Georgia Tech catcher. You know, there was – I believe there was some – some scuttlebutt that he might be a one-one consideration, uh, so that he fell to eleventh. Not entirely sure why that was the case, but it was tremendous value at eleventh overall. When you have a catcher who hit more home runs than he had strikeouts, I believe, and you know, like Alvarez has six hit, six power upside, and you know, middle of the order type of, of production profile. I think, I think that's the pick. I know a lot of Mets fans get a little bit confused seeing a guy like Francisco Alvarez in the system, one of the top prospects in all of baseball, and then seeing them go after a guy like Kevin Parada. Me and James have tried to explain many of times why that doesn't necessarily matter, but maybe you can put it into better words as to why a guy like Kevin Parada is such a valuable prospect in the system. Yeah, <laughs> baseball's a funny game, isn't it? I, you know, you're just trying to stockpile the most talent. You know, player values can be elastic. You know. Um, Players fail for all sorts of different reasons, so it's always good to have reinforcements. And in the case of these two in particular, DH is is on the table as a position. <laughs> they would be <laughs> capable of playing in the major leagues if they reach their upside potential. That's pretty funny. I always like to hear a, a scuttlebutt mention on a, on a show. It's, <laughs> it's one of our better words this episode. Hornswoggle, scuttlebutt. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of great words that, that sound funny in the English language. <laughs> Staying with the comparison of guys the Mets drafted in correlation with guys the Mets already had in their system, on this new list from Baseball America, you guys have Jet Williams ranked one spot ahead of Ronnie Mauricio on the Mets list. Ronnie Mauricio is a guy that, I think Mark and I and also Mets fans and even scouts in general seem to have gone back and forth on a number of times over the last few years. What about Jet or what about Ronnie's recent performances had those two ranked in that order? Yeah, Mauricio is, is a really tough player to evaluate right now. Um, scouts love the raw power. You know, he, he does have pretty good game power. I think there's a growing sentiment that he might that, that hitting might not hitting just doesn't come natural to him. Then he's more of an ambush hitter. Um, he's probably not a shortstop. So you, you begin to kind of detect these cracks in the armor where he's a good prospect, but no longer like he's no longer top 100 for us. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause he's, he's carrying a 290 on base percentage over the past two seasons. So it's really tough to find you know, like star MLB players who had a, an OBP that low for that long. Yeah. And then Jet Williams, um, he's a player the Mets are really high on, you know, like, like other teams. I think they've been on him since the showcase last year. You know, he's, he's a five-tool player, you know, power potentially more average than above. Um, but he plays with a chip on his shoulder, I think, 
I think there's a lot of confidence that he's going to hit and play up the middle. Jet definitely has a chip on his shoulder. We spent accidentally an entire rain delay with Jet <laughs> the day he signed his Mets deal, and he's he's a he's a confident young man, but he definitely seems very motivated in, a, in, in that tiny package. And I feel like I've heard from everybody like they he has almost like I don't want to say like the it factor, but he has something that everybody in baseball seems to fall in love with. They're like he's a good player, but he has almost these intangibles that you can't really show on the field that just makes you have even more confidence in this guy. Oh yeah. 100%. Like, other players kind of gravitate toward him. Yeah. And then we saw that there's the other two Mets draft picks. I mean, we mentioned Blade earlier coming in at nine. Then you have Nick Morabito and Jacob Reimer as well in the top 30. Give us a little bit on those guys because once you start to get out of the first two rounds, Mets fans, just baseball fans in general, I think, probably start to get a little bit less interested in the prospects just because of the name recognition. But these guys are coming right into the system in the top 30, according to you guys over at Baseball America. So fill in the uh, fill in the listeners at home with what you got on them. Well, it's easier in the Mets system because it is shallower than some systems. So it's easier to crack. Um, but that's not to say they're not high on these players. You know, Morabito is a, is a DC kid. He's an athletic, you know, compact, athletic right-handed hitter who they have really good run times on. So they really like the athlete and run his ability to stick in center field. Um, I, there's some lower half cleanup that needs to, to be completed with this swing, but they're, they're confident that they have a, like Williams, they have like a hit, like a high school hitter who hits and can stay up the middle. So that's what they're excited about there. Um, Reimer is, is going to move to third base. Yeah. He's a little more divisive among scouts. I think the Mets were probably higher than most teams on him, but you know, he's a guy who's got some, some good hitting traits. Um, he tested really well in like a, a team workout. So they're, they're confident in the, the data they generated in their scouting looks. Just kind of a question about these kinds of rankings and valuations in general. Like you talked about the Mets, like nearing the top 10 of all farm systems in baseball. Then moments later, we talk about how shallow the system is and how these new draft picks are able to like basically infiltrate the top 15 list where in your guys' rankings at baseball America does more importance lie on, these potential impact major leaguers that are close to the league versus these types of either high upside, lower level guys who seem to have higher ceilings or even just generally organizational depth, because it seems like this Mets farm system is unique in terms of the rest of the league. And it's, that just seems like it'd be like a very strange challenge to rank. Yeah, we, our philosophy is to favor star power and upside you know, so therefore a system led by Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty and now Kevin Parada is going to, is going to factor pretty highly when we put these, these talent rankings together. Um, you know, depth matters of course, but we have found that, you know, in our view, the star power is what really drives postseason success. Definitely. I, I've, you know, taken a look at the list now and there's a bunch of different names on there that maybe we haven't seen in the past of some guys who do you, would you say outside of like the big name top 10 prospects is your favorite on this Mets list right now? Well, Nick Zwack was one of those guys, but um, <laughs> <laughs> the other, the other helium guy is a, is a Dominican summer league shortstop named Jesus Baez. He's got some good hitting traits. He's got some good power production in the DSL. Um, the batting average is backed up, but there is some confidence that he will hit um, and potentially fulfill like a, um, power hitting third baseman type of profile. He's one I keep an eye on. He's got a chance to move up this list pretty dramatically, especially if he plays well in low A or for the FCL next year. 
Nice. And we were the Mark asked you about the pitchers a little while ago, and Swack was the guy who had the great results this year with the helium, and now he's gone. But anyone else from that list who you've seen anything major from this year where you think you can point to a guy and say he's going to be a starter in the future between Hamill, Budo, Diaz, Atencio, Ziegler? Is there another guy from that list I'm forgetting? Tidwell, but he has a Tidwell, really yeah, yet. I guess, but yeah, too, too many. You can include him in this. Yeah, that's a tough one. It, it is kind of a weak point in the system now because we have top seven prospects or position players. There's a lot to be encouraged with Ziegler based on what he's shown in terms of bat missing ability. Um, but he, you know, he's he's so young and so far away, and still still probably too wild to to feel super confident. But he's probably the name here. Like as you go down the list. Um, you know, Luis Rodriguez, the left-hander, had Tommy John surgery. Um, Jordani Ventura, the 21-year-old right-hander, is coming back from TJ, and he's looked really good. I guess I would put him as another helium guy to kind of keep an eye on. He's got a wide repertoire, and he's kind of building some success at, at low A. So he's one that doesn't exactly answer your question, but he's <laughs> he's another name I would bring up. <laughs> no, I, I know with his Mets farm system in particular, like pitching is definitely not one of the strengths. You know, like like you said, the first seven guys in this are all hitters, and those are probably the seven names that all the Mets fans do know in the system. So trying to find these spots where the pitchers maybe could be guys that we could look forward to is is definitely interesting. I know one guy that I had my eye on was Junior Santos, who's now up in Brooklyn, and I'm, he has a big arm. I'm correct, right? Mm-hmm. I think he's yeah. a big guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I was I was interested what your thoughts on were Junior Santos. Um, I know, like again, with all these guys that are so young, lower down in the system, it's a little bit tough. Uh, you know, there's if their ceilings were higher, they'd be higher in the rankings. But what's to, what's to like about Junior Santos outside of like the big major arm, or is that kind of the thing? Yeah, that's a selling point. He, I mean, he throws a lot of strikes for a pitcher that tall, which is good to see. It doesn't seem like he has the, the separator, you know, second pitch to go with the arm strength at, at this time. So there's not a ton of confidence that he's going to hold the rotation spot, but he's, he would be a name of interest for sure. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road with available H track, all wheel drive and three row seating. My whole family can head deep into the wild, conquer the weekend in the all new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. One guy who also just got recently promoted up AAA, Jose Budo. We've talked about on this show a lot. I believe you mentioned him last year. Is he someone who, based on the stuff he has in his repertoire, do you think could be in the mix for even possibly a relief spot this year as the Mets get closer to you know crunch time of the season? He would be a candidate. You know, he's on the 40-man roster. I think the the strike against him is limited AAA time and just no more September call-ups in the sense that there used to be. Um, he, he'd be somebody who might compete for a bullpen spot next year or a spot start or two. It, it sounds like, you know, as a, as a fastball change of right-hander, you know, your command and your changeup have to be outstanding to be a major league starter and he's he's good it's like it's a six changeup for sure um but he might not be quite at that level where you're confident he's a part of the rotation is, is the fastball more like a four or five or is it even worse than that 
think it's I think you grade it as a as a fifty. Yeah. Okay. Like to hear that. Because uh, Budo's a guy that we've been talking about ever since we've done the prospect stuff. We've just been digging for names because everybody knows, again, the guys at the top. So we've been digging from last year for some names. Budo is one of the guys. But one of the other guys, especially James, was very hip too early. And it might have been because, you know, reading a lot of your guys' stuff as well, was Alex Ramirez, you guys have at number four right now. And it seems like top 100s across baseball. Alex Ramirez has been scattered all over the place. So what are your guys' thoughts on uh, Alex Ramirez as a prospect for the Mets? Yeah, I mean, you talk about a guy who's got the tools, he's got the look. He now he has the performance. You know, I'm surprised at how well he's hit. You know, especially hit for average. I think that was supposed to be the weak part of his game, but you know, he came out very hot at uh, low A and has managed to hold his own at, at high A at a very young age. So he's he's definitely an up arrow guy. Who you know, we've moved into our top 100 around you know mid season June July. So he's he's a guy with some helium. You know, the upper levels will determine how much he actually hits. But in terms of tools, you might not find a toolsier overall player in the system. Love to hear that. Love to hear that. I I think of all the toolsy players the Mets have had in the past. And, you know, <laughs> some have been hit or miss, Fernando Martinez. But a guy like Alex Ramirez, it is super encouraging to see that as one of the younger players at every level, he has performed seemingly above his age, which is nice. Yeah, it's also encouraging because I feel like a lot of these Mets development successes over the last half of a decade, like mostly have been draft picks. I know we've had a few Rosario and Jimenez are both seem to have been hits out in Cleveland now since the Lindor trade and Alvarez is very close, but it seems like the Mets have really been able, been finding great ways to get their draft picks to the majors, but a little bit less with international players. So it's nice to see Ramirez even just get the helium to be a top hundred guy. Yeah. You, you know, for, uh, they had a run from like 2012 to 2018 where um, Ahmed Rosario, you mentioned um, Ronnie Mauricio, Francisco Alvarez, like all these guys who are in contention to be number one in the system. And Andres Jimenez, another one that you mentioned. So they've had a pretty good run. You know, we'll see if they can keep it up. But that was a really good run for guys who shot to the top of the system. Definitely want to bring up Mark Vientos as well, because I think a little bit less now with Darren Ruff now coming into the fold and being able to crush left-handed pitching, it doesn't seem there's as big of a hole. But there still are September call-ups, and Mark Vientos is a guy who's been at AAA, I think, for the entire season pretty much, and has had some relative success. Do you think Vientos is going to be a guy that, you know, what can we expect from him when he comes up, honestly? He's another tough one to evaluate because the power is real. Um, he's, he's proving you know, his discipline has, has been good um, overall at AAA. There's more strikeouts than you typically see with, like, a top, top prospect at that level. Uh, but the power is real. The position is probably more first base. I think those sorts of positional limitations make it more challenging to rank a player, at least for us on the top 100. But I, he's, he's a tough one, you know, because you have the power and, and, the, and the strikeouts in such abundance. You know, it takes sometimes it takes these guys a little bit longer to kind of find their way in the major leagues. So I don't know if I would expect like impact right away in an everyday type of role. When you see a guy like that who is like shown prodigious power at every level of the minors, but still can't seem to one put the bat in the ball very consistently, or even lift the ball very consistently. We've talked a little bit about his ground ball rate still hanging out above fifty percent for most of the year. Where do you see even like a long term ceiling for a player like that? Well, you know, on the high end, you know, somebody like a CJ Crone might might be in play on the low end. 
like Ronaldo Nunez, somebody like that, Mike, Michael, uh, Michael Franco, guys like that. Okay. Uh, you know, it, it all depends. If he, if he makes the most of his, of his balls in play, then, you know. <laughs> yeah. Does ground ball rate, like the, the concept of the way a player lifts the ball, is that something that can? Not maybe not can. Is that something that is like actively trying to be developed out of guys or is that wind up just coming maybe at the expense of other aspects of a player's approach? Like, is that a key area of development this late in the game, upper minors, major leagues? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, you're trying to optimize the, you know, the exit velocity and the launch angle continually until players have major league success. Um, and we've seen a number of players achieve that, you know, it remains to be seen whether some of these guys will, but I think, yeah, it's that, that development is ongoing. I feel like the last guy we probably want to talk about here in the system because we haven't touched too much on him is going to be Brett Beatty, who just got the promotion to AAA along with Jose Budo. Somebody who, me and James, the more and more I watch of this guy, I mean, I fall in love with his game. It seems like he's a really, really good hitter. Seems like he's pretty patient at the plate. And I feel like the, you know, scouting report when he first came to the Mets was that he probably wasn't going to stick at third or that he wasn't athletic enough to maybe play that position. But it seems like as the years have gone on, as he's played more games, he's getting more and more comfortable there. So much so that, I mean, they've even thought about putting him in the corner outfield because he's such a good athlete. So I'm interested to see what you think about Brett Beatty uh, and, you know, what you think the ceiling could be on that guy. Yeah, he's a really, like you say, he's a, he's a good hitter with power. And he's starting to hit the ball in the air more often, you know, to speak to, to James's last point and starting to see the results of that. Um, I expect him to be probably like a, an um, a solid average to maybe above major league player, I think. I think it's fair to say rival scouts are less sold on him at third base. Um, but as you mentioned, left field is also a possibility. So that might be where we we see Beatty the most in his in his early major league career. But overall, like him quite a bit. Yeah, Brett Beatty actually this year in Double A had a higher WRC plus than Francisco Alvarez while he was at the level. That's crazy. I mean, like hey, people, he's not getting enough credit for having like one of the most impressive double A seasons that from player 22 or younger, like you can remember that recently, honestly. Wasn't he one of the guys too at the futures game that they said they loved watching him take BP along with Alvarez yep. that they were like, he's super impressive to watch it. I mean, we saw him at the fall league and we're like, Oh, this dude's a really good ball player in terms of all, I'm just on fan grass right now. In terms of all players who took at least a hundred play appearances, double A this year, Brett Beatty has the fourth, highest WRC plus third highest of players, 22 and younger. And the only two better are Colton Cowser and Gunnar Henderson, two standouts from the Baltimore system. That's just the mm -hmm. guy that that's pretty unbelievable. He has done that this year. And, and, and Cowser, that's still a pretty small sample, isn't it? Yeah. Like I think it's, a, so? it's a just over hundred, 140 play appearance. As of now, Beatty has 400 played appearances. <laughs> here double A. The most, I think it's the most <laughs> league. <laughs> What would you say the biggest difference is between the double A and triple A jump? Because I know we talked about it earlier. You said that the pitchers at triple A nibble a little bit more, but in general, I think there's just kind of been like a, almost a little bit of a, a changing in that. You look at a lot of these triple A teams now and they're just filled with 35 to 40 year old guys that are just sticking around and are basically depth pieces where double A is where all the great prospects are. So what value do you put on those two levels compared to each other? Yeah, I think the, the players will tell you that it's it's the pitching approach is a lot different. You know, pitching backwards, landing off-speed pitches, landing breaking pitches for strikes. I think that goes up, but the, the pure velocity and power probably does not go up that much. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and if you play in the PCL, the, the field conditions are unique. <laughs> you, have, you have altitude. <laughs> you have the really, really hard surfaces from the, the desert conditions. So <laughs> that doesn't pertain to the Mets anymore since they're out of Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That was a weird couple of years. Yeah, the, the <laughs> Vegas 51s. I mean, the Mets, the AAA for the Mets have been all over the place. It seems like they found a nice little home in Syracuse, although I don't know what it's like to hit up in Syracuse all year either. Uh, <laughs> April in Syracuse must be a, must be a bear. <laughs> must be horrible. Must be freezing. Yeah, that's the that's the part of the world I grew up in. So yes, I can. It is in fact horrible, <laughs> weatherwise. <laughs> James, you have a uh, you have any final questions here for Matt before we uh you know let him shout out Baseball America and tell us all about that. I like that we touched on um the double AA, A triple A differences because something I've been trying to hammer home for a few months. But could we, could we just get like five minutes talking about the general top hundred of Baseball America right now? Hmm. Can I ask about Jackson Jorio? Because he mm-hmm. has come out of nowhere on your guys' list to be like back end of the, I think he was like in the seventies in the off season. Now he's up to two. So can you talk about what, what drove that ranking, what you see in Jorio as a prospect, just to bring this to prospects in major league baseball for all of our listeners for a few minutes. Yeah. The way this is playing out, like an 18 year old dominating low A going to high A with no adjustment, you know, period. It's playing out like Wander Franco. It's playing out like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Big um, names. And, and, that, and that's not the only reason, you know, we were hearing from scouts who were putting sevens overall on Churio last year in the DSL, and he's gone out. He dominated extended spring for the Brewers, didn't miss a beat at low A or high A. We, we just think, like, ultimately, this is where things are headed, so we're just going to get ahead of the curve. <laughs> we saw that, uh, you know, the, the Nationals made a couple big moves for some big prospects in Abrams, Woods, Hassel, all guys that are – Hassel and Abrams, I believe, are in the top 25, and then Woods, is, I believe, is in the top 50 at least, or top 40 even. What do you think about just that trade package back in general for a guy like Juan Soto? Because I don't think anyone who's – I mean, Juan Soto is what twenty three years old. That's like some of these top prospects' age right now on this list, and he's an MVP candidate every year. So, what do you think about that package back? I mean, at least it's topical now with them being Nationals players as well. We might have to see them in a few years. <laughs> yeah, I think it was as good a return as could be expected for a player of Soto's stature. I think, like, let's assume that the you know pitchers are a big shrug generally, but let's assume the four position players pan out. You know, that's what. T- 24 seasons of control plus for potentially four position regulars. Like that's, I mean, that's how organizations look at it, you know, but potentially high value (laughs) two dozen seasons when you're talking about, you know, James Wood and Robert Hassel and CJ Abrams and um, the other obvious guy I should be remembering right now, but I'm not. (laughs) And in terms of upside, you know, Oh, was uh, Salih Yarlin Susana. Yeah. Yeah. Harlan Susana. Yeah. Yeah, Abrams. Um, but in terms of upside, like this could be viewed as there's there is a universe in which this could be viewed as the Susanna and Wood trade, you know, <laughs> Abrams and Hassel trade. <laughs> okay, I like that. That's interesting. When when a player like Abrams, who's so highly touted, so highly regarded, has such great success in the minor leagues, comes to the majors and has such sustained struggles as he has, what where? How how do you guys view that part of his evaluation? What what kind of like how important does that become? Yeah, it definitely it definitely does weigh a player down to to some degree. Um, with Abrams is a trickier evaluation because he's had such interruptions through his development time. You know, yeah. twenty twenty gone, twenty twenty one missed half the year with an injury. This year he's been up and down. 
Um, I think from what we understand, like some, some physical growth and maturation are required for Abrams to reach his ceiling, but definitely that sort of plus shortstop on both sides of the ball is definitely in play as an outcome. So I would just, you know, look forward to some more growth in those, in those areas. And then I feel like I, I got to ask, since we'll wrap up the top 100 here, who is your favorite guy that's towards the back end of the top 100 that you think could have maybe the most helium in the next ranking for you guys? Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> I, I know I like looking through this list. The, the top there's 100 two, is there's just two guys. Sort. There's two guys I think just from playing in a dynasty league with Matt, but I kind of want to hear what he says. Yeah, well, whenever somebody says that's a good question, it means you stumped them. So <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and look at the back of our list. <laughs> no, I know I know one guy in particular that I love is Emmanuel Rodriguez with the Twins, but it's the same thing that you get with a lot of these younger guys, where it's just like they're at such a low level that it's hard yeah. to really project how it's gonna you know go against the better competition. But that dude's absolutely raking. I love him. The in the, the there's a kind of a growing concern with the quality of pitching in low A, like what to make of those offensive results because yeah. What we're hearing pretty consistently is that the quality of low A pitching has never been worse. You know, it's, oh, wow. it's never been younger and it's never been worse in terms of Interesting. execution and strike throwing. Um, I'm looking at the back of our list now. James, you go ahead. Who are your, your sleepers? I mean, my the guy I've loved this year, two guys particularly. One of them was Manuel Rodriguez, but I thought he was a low-hanging fruit. I'm starting to really love Jackson Merrill. He just does so many things well, and you see those well-rounded players at that age who are able to just put together incredible results. But with their age combining against their level. And you see a system like the Padres, who's found ways to develop these up-the-middle guys really successfully, and I give some credit to that. And the other guy who I fell in love with from, like, the middle of May, I guess even late, late April, was Sedan Rafaela of the Red Sox. Just an absolute freak athlete. I think he's been at Pawtucket most of the year, but he can just he, – he's a real mover. He just You see that kind of athletic profile in a baseball player, who can a guy who can hit a little bit, and you're just like yeah, – you just kind of freak out the potential. Yeah, um, as I scan the back of this list, I, I'm on board with um, with Merrill. I think if not for the injuries that he's had this year, he's missed most of the year. I think we would be talking about him potentially higher. I think I think he's that potentially that good. Um, Vaughn Grissom of the Braves also sticks out, kind of a natural hitter. Questions about power and, and position, but and the Braves have such a good track record with yeah. just developing major league regulars. <laughs> so those would be my two guys. Awesome. All right. Well, we want to give you a chance to go ahead and shout out everything you guys do over there at Baseball America. Let everybody know what's going on. The top 30s dropping and all that. So go ahead. Here's your plug. Yes. Uh, our final in-season top 30 prospects for every organization are available uh, this week. Um, certainly by the time you're hearing this. <laughs> so we've updated for the final time all year, every farm system, integrated draft picks, put in the helium guys and move guys um, accordingly at least by our estimation all right great matt thank you again for coming on with us second time so now we gotta do this again next year first week second week of august just like we did the last two years so thanks again everyone go out there get your subscriptions to baseball america keep track of these prospects that matt was telling you about and matt we got to get you up here in new york for a game at some point too yeah surely maybe maybe october matt go on <laughs> yeah maybe october <laughs> all right thanks again man we'll appreciate it thanks guys oh always fun talking with matt always fun the dude's got a lot of knowledge and weirdly enough because we technically recorded like that that episode a little bit earlier than we recorded this one 
he hit the nail on the head with Vaughn Grissom because he just got called up by the Braves. Yeah, pretty amazing call. <laughs> now that they're talking about an, like next impact, not really next impact player, but a guy to keep an eye on gets called up 24 hours later, even if yeah. that. So let's go ahead and preview this Philly series here because this is a big one. Big it's, one. It's, it's big. I don't think maybe that enough Mets fans are considering how big this series is. Massive. While the Phillies are 10 games back, they have a chance to make up some ground here, and the Mets have a chance to really separate themselves again, which they did against the Atlanta Braves. Keep playing good baseball. I don't think the Mets will have any problem, but that being said, this Phillies team is playing significantly better since they fired Joe Girardi. They do have better pitching, especially with no guard, although we won't see him. I believe they're 40 and 19, if I remember correctly, since they fired Joe Girardi. <laughs> it's almost like, it's almost like using numbers and stats and know. being smarter makes you a better team. I don't know about you, James. How do you feel about that? Yeah, not being a hard, though, seems like it's really good for your baseball team. But yeah. they have been playing good baseball. I very famously picked them to win this division preseason, which is hilarious. Crazy. Even though they have, the Phillies are much closer to the Braves than the Braves are to the Mets right now. That's this, very true. This is a team that's playing well. This is a team that has a pretty interesting, and I think, roster that could be a little bit troublesome if you got into a situation in October. Also, like, we have an, an idea of the Phillies in our head right now. We pummeled them yeah. through April and May, annihilated this team, kind of set the Mets on this run that would kind of you know get their season going on the right track, kind of got them momentum, kind of got them hot. We swept them May 27, 28, and 29th. Their record was 21-27 at the time. Since that moment, the Phillies are – let me just pull it up real I, quick. I think, I think that's the 40-19 and 19 since then. Oh, really? It's 419 yeah. since then? Because they fired Girardi after they're that? They're 61 and 48 right now. So I think it actually might have been the 40 and 19 right there. That's hilarious. Yeah, I guess it is. So that's basically since they saw the Mets. So when you play teams, not the Mets, it's very easy to stack up victories. However, the Mets are coming back to town. But this team has found a couple of semi-decent bullpen pieces, which is a change of tone from the Phillies that we've known either earlier this year or in the past. Mostly Connor. Uh, Brogdon, who I shouted out earlier this season. He has very good yep. stuff, good fastball. He's pitching very well for them. They just traded for David Robertson, as most Mets fans know. Also, Andrew Bellotti, a crazy person who pitches in relief for them. Someone I mentioned very briefly, I think either in our preseason or spring training episode, someone I thought could make noise in their pen who didn't really have a roster spot. Guy just has good stuff. He Sir- like, cr- either crushes Red Bulls and runs and sprints onto the mound. Which I, I know nothing about Andrew Bellotti, so you're filling me in on this information now. I was going to bring up Sir Anthony, who's actually a good closer for them, which is something they're not used to. They also did just cut Jerry's Familia, so they're even more enemies now. They got rid of one of the former <laughs> favorite Mets. And Alvarado, who still strikes the world out, but also just can't really throw strikes. I don't remember. He's been going up and down this year. I don't even know if he's on the team. Just give me, give me Brad Hand. Someone needs to get to Brad Hand because the I'm, fact I'm that not, he has I'm this. I'm not mentioning Brad Hand's good stats because I hate him. F- the fake 2.2 ERA. Uh, with a 1-2 whip. With a 1-2 whip. He has a 3-4. Like, ah, uh, Brad Hand. It's it's coming. It's coming soon. I hope it's the Mets. We got, we have some lefty killers now. Darren Ruff. I would love to see Darren Ruff getting that bat against Brad Hand. I would, I would be smiling ear to ear. Same with Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso and Starling Marte. But, yeah. Also, this Phillies lineup is packed with power, even without Bryce Harper. I famously told Mark the day that Bryce Harper broke his thumb that it wouldn't really affect this Phillies team that much, and they would still be in the thick of it until the end. Mark said, you're crazy. No, Bryce Harper's going to kill them. They're dead. I do think, though, that your statement was like, you you were right, but I don't think you were right. I think I was right in the fact that just an everyday DH, even though if you're one of the best hitters in baseball, won't affect your bottom line a ton, a ton, a ton. Yeah. And it has. It's, he's going to come back. He's going to make them better. Of course, Bryce Harper makes them a better team. But I was just saying the way that the Phillies were playing at time, hanging out near 500. There were other parts of the team. I feel like I feel. I just felt like the hitters were still going to be able to pick him up. It was the pitching and the bullpen need to step up for them to actually get hot. And that's happened. Also, 
Real Muto's gotten really hot. We talked about Schwarber before. Reese Hoskins. Hoskins is hitting the crap out of the ball. Alec Bohm has a batting average near 300, which is making the old heads look alive, even though he's lost all of his power and draws no walks. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> I got a, I got a lot of smack for talking about Alec Bohm. People were like, well, he's hitting 300. Like, yeah, well, he still can't play third, and the power yeah, is still, still not there. exactly that much changing his bottom line. Gene Segura also came back last week after missing two months on the shelf. So really great we get to see him in time. But Gene Segura misses two months, and the Mets get him for every single series. How <laughs> yeah. r- Riddle me that one. I can't believe it. Gene Segura is such a thorn in our side that guy is just he's he's a pro's pro i would say he's definitely a pro's pro he's the pro is pro i love you guys know i love gene segura the guy's just a freaking ball player he knows how to play the game i think the big thing to take away from this though is that the phillies are not nearly as bad as when we first saw them despite not having bryce harper they're They're definitely they're definitely a solid team they're no longer i my running joke has always been the fourth place phillies i'm no longer saying it anymore because they're clearly the third best team in this division right now they're not the fourth and i mean they're they're gonna make the playoffs they're going to be a playoff team. So as they, much, there's, there's still a world where they actually do miss it, kind of. Really? Only if both of the central teams get hot, the Padres stay hot, and the Braves and the okay. Mets stay ahead of them, like significantly. They could keep the Phillies out. And I would love to keep. I mean, if you had give me the choice of well, the Brewers, the Cardinals, the Phillies. Well, you get three. You get three wild card teams now. So I, I think they're pretty much locked into a playoff spot. They're pretty much locked into it, but they're still worse than the Padres and the Braves. So I, I think guess, they have yeah. like a five or six game cushion in the Cardinals or the. Cardinals or Brewers, whoever winds up second in that division. But still, it's not impossible they blow that. I mean, again, I'm saying I would love for the Phillies to blow that to a team in the Central. For sure. And you know how we could do that? The Mets could take care of business and smack them around this weekend, which I really do think is in the realm of possibilities. It's just this is a better Phillies team. Now, what are the pitching matchups looking like? Who's on the mound? Pitching matchups are good. Friday night, I think the Mets have a uh, stern advantage with Ranger Suarez against Max Scherzer. Suarez, darling of last year's second half, hasn't been as good, but still isn't like bad. He's this kind of soft tossing lefty. We hope that Darren Ruff is our, you know, you know, lightning in a bottle to neutralize him. And then Saturday, there's a big one. I'm gonna be there Saturday. I'm assuming you're gonna be there Saturday too. Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, I got a friend coming in from uh, D.C. area. College buddies coming into town, so we're gonna be at the game on Saturday. Saturday, Nola versus Degrom. That is one. that's literally as good as it gets. Aaron Nola has rebounded tremendously after I predicted him to do so this year to once again be one of the best pitchers in the National League. Two point six ERA. More than a strikeout per nine, just over four war right now. The guy is freaking awesome. He's probably in contention for the Cy Young. He's he's so 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 good. And then also Zach Wheeler versus Chris Bass on Sunday. Zach Wheeler also in contention for the Cy Young. So 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 good. An unbelievable pitcher. These two guys. We talk a lot about the hitting and the bullpen, but having these two guys as the horses in this rotation has been what has kind of propelled the Phillies back into this pennant race. Now there is one name we have not mentioned. It's because he's ducking us again. It's Noah Syndergaard. Ducking the Mets. He's scared of them. I got a question for you, James. Noah Syndergaard, one, do the Mets do a coming? Do the Mets do like a, a montage of him? I mean, I have a feeling that our boy John over here, Johnny Cutts, is going to have some funny things on the board just to take shots at Noah Syndergaard. But I feel like the Mets, there's, it was really just those like couple comments in the offseason as to why Mets fans would be against Noah Syndergaard. Because he had some great seasons for us. He had some of the best moments of like the 2015-2016 seasons, like throwing behind Chase Utley, Alice Escobar, and Chase Utley. Yeah. The ass in the jackpot video was totally run, like because of Noah Syndergaard. The 60 he, feet, I'm 60 feet, 6, six inches, inches away. away. Like he's, 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 he's awesome. I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's, just, it's so shocking he's on this team. I even feel like he kind of poked fun at being on this team. He posted two funny videos on Twitter the night of the trade deadline about like going to a team that he like once hated. The prank he played in the Philly Fanatic where he stole like the little motor yeah. car. And we're probably going to get him next weekend in Philly if it lines up. Probably, yeah. It seems like it's there's a chance that at least lines up. Okay, so 
Montage, we might be out on maybe, but do you think he gets booed? I don't even think there's going to be a chance for him to get booed. He's not going to be announced. His name is never going to be said. No, he'll he'll get booed at some. There, there's gonna they're gonna find a way to get him like a Noah Syndergaard. I think he's gonna find a way to get highlighted. And I think he is almost excited. Like he wants to get booed. That's what Noah Syndergaard is. But I don't like a ca- like a camera on the field instead of going to a fan is probably gonna go to Noah Syndergaard. At some yeah, point. but I, like I, I I don't blame the hate on Noah Syndergaard because just because he said like what did he say? It was like he wanted to go to the the Mets were dysfunctional because they still hadn't hired the coach or GM yet, and he wanted to go yeah. to a team with structure <laughs> like crazy. the Angels. One of the most structured franchises in the history of baseball. That team is just a model of consistency year after year. All they do is sign bad contracts and not develop pitching or hitting. Nothing (laughs) nothing better than the Angels. Such a consistent, stable, sturdy organization. Literally the last thing that the Angels would ever be called is stable right now. No, I I think it's just Noah Syndergaard translation. I wanted to live in Southern California for the next couple of months before I actually had to be a free agent. So I'm sure that I can respect. You're honest about that. I respect it. I I think it's just Noah Syndergaard poking fun at Mets fans. You know how easy we are to get fun poked at. Yeah, John was saying he's going to be nice to Noah. He did say that the social media question of the day is going to be, "What's the last book you read in honor of Noah Syndergaard's Reading Club?" Which is, it's a good. That's a good. That's a good fun jab. That's a good fun jab. But I mean, hey, it's a big, big series to the field. It's going to be rocking like it was last weekend. Won't oh, be yeah. a billy. Won't be a billy. Won't be a hundred degrees at night like it was last weekend with eighty like, percent humidity, which is it's going cool. to be like seventies, right? Yeah, you're going to be. People are going to be able to wear jeans in the ballpark and not feel like death. You can go to the game and go out after and not be dripping in sweat. That's incredible. I'm re- I'm looking forward to that. I would I would like some post game bevs after a nice win over the Philadelphia Filthies. One hundred percent. And just we got hot because of this team. They got cold because of us. They've been hot without us. We've been hot without them. Kill them. I hate this team. Murder them. <laughs> yeah, really. Stomp on their throats. Let's as nice it. as I am to a team, that's just my objective. Like baseball analysis. I hate these guys. I hate these yeah. guys so much. I want to pulverize them. Yeah. Want to make not- them feel pain. I'm not fond. I want to lose the estimate because Kyle Schwarber struck out every single at bat. 15 Ks in this series. 14. There you go. 12 Ks in this series. I don't want him to get five at bats. I don't want him to yeah, get five exactly. At bats. Strike out all 12 times. That would be great, and especially because I would win, and the Mets would probably be winning. But I think that's a perfect way for us to wrap up this episode of the Mets Up Podcast, episode 116. If you guys are not yet following us on our social media at Mets Up everywhere on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, remember on Twitter we're giving away a Starling Marte signed baseball. So go over there follow us retweet the tweet you'll be able to have a chance to win that if you're listening or if you're watching the youtube video check out the new york mets youtube channel it'll be over there and if you're listening to us apple podcast spotify google podcast wherever you listen you'll be able to find us drop us a rating drop us a review download subscribe whatever you got for us we do appreciate it follow james on twitter at james underscore shiano and follow me at giraffe neck mark with a c that's where we'll wrap it up guys we'll see you after the philly series peace out peace out guys see you next time get up get, get up get up 